You're listening to Mike and Kristen. The podcast. I'm Mike, a musician, writer, and producer. And I'm Kristen, a painter, writer, and designer. Our show is all about following dreams, taking chances, and what life as an artist is really about. Together, we bring you weekly guest interviews and thought-provoking conversations. Let's go! Hello, Kristen Ray Harrington. Michael Stephen Ryan. That's our full names. You go by Michael S. Ryan in your writing now. I do, yeah. My solo project and my writing name, Michael S. Ryan, because, well, M- Mike Ryan's a pretty boring name. It's common, too. There's lots of Mike Ryan's. I had my dental records mixed up with a, with a man in his 50s when I was a little boy. <laughs> <laughs> and they were trying to figure out why my teeth were so rotten. Why you had so many cavities as yeah. a young gaffer. I had a teacher in school named Mike Ryan. Used to get messages from other students, like usually um, complaining emails. And did you just forward those on to him? Yeah. So I'd read them first. Of but, course, uh, <laughs> yeah. You have a big file folder of students' emails still. That's just one way to get my entertainment. Well, speaking of entertainment, you had one hell of a weekend. Are you recovered from your big show? Yeah, it was a a marvelous show. Maybe one of the most fun shows I've ever played. It was at the legendary Marquee Ballroom, too, which I feel sometimes the venue really makes the show extra special. That's an important factor. Like the, The vibe of a place is crucial to how everything comes together and so many bands have played there it's the biggest venue on the the east coast biggest bar i guess yeah and we've been hearing lately that a lot of not even just bands but live events are having difficulty attracting people to come out of the cozy woodworks of their house but you got like 600 people show up at the show there was like 600 people there and everyone was pumped and everyone was excited to be out and yeah, hear live of... music and just so much energy. Yeah, you don't get that that often playing. Yeah, and you could. There were uh, certainly friends and fans of both George Woodhouse's uh, little circle there and Daniel James McFadden, who we had on the podcast last week. Last week and George earlier in our I can't remember what episode number, but they're both podcast guests, and yeah, they they both really did awesome. George is really coming into his own as a front man. Is he ever? Yeah, we're always so proud of him. Yeah, and Daniel is just, yeah, just on a tear lately. Well, and this week we've got a very special guest. I love that we, so we have a naturopathic doctor this week, Dr. Nicole. We call her Dr. Cokes. That's her nickname. Everybody calls her Dr. Cokes. Yeah, everybody calls her that. Not just us. (laughs) (laughs) And I... After you listen to this episode, I have to say she is so great at sharing on her social media free tips and guidance that you can look to if you have questions. Accessible health is so important to her, and she talks about that. But I I mentioned that we always share people's social media profiles, and of course we want to promote them and encourage you to follow, but she's just an excellent resource. I I turn to her page for information all the time. Yeah, and on this episode, she 
dives into a lot of that information. We're we're just kind of curious and asking questions, and she's just there with answers. It's us basically using her for a medical appointment. But <laughs> hey, we're artists. We don't have a medical plan, so we got to do whatever we can. So you suggested to her experimenting with the white bread diet. White so bread diet. We'll yeah. be curious to see if Nicole takes you up on that. I'm sure she's eating eight pieces of toast right now. Just straight up Wonder Bread. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, without further ado, let's get into our conversation with Dr. Cokes. I mean, I'm sure for the same reasons. Totally. Like, I, this is a funny way to say it. I was talking to somebody about this earlier today of like, pretty sure I, like you can read minds when somebody's in the room or at least body language and all that sort of stuff. But through the screen, it's just like all my powers are gone. It feels like. Yeah. All your spidey senses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so many little things, like you said, with body language and just facial expressions and just the way someone holds their shoulders and you're probably an expert on picking up on things like that. I have no idea if I am, but like certainly when you get into more personal conversations and you can watch people like squirm in their seat and you're like, do I push it? Do I? And, mm. and you just lose all of those cues when they're not in front of you, right? Is that something you were taught to do or is that just using your own experience and intuition that you can make those observations? I would see like maybe a little A, a little B. Um, we have what would have been called like psychology class and... Um, we would learn like cognitive behavioral therapy and all that uh, interventions and techniques for a semester. So like by no means would I ever consider my ability to do any of those things on any sort of level. Um, but then always like, I just feel like reading people, I, for whatever reason, like at bars growing up, I always have like that sign on my head that says like, tell me your life story or something like that. So I don't know what vibe I give off in the universe, but that seems to be it. So if you want to be a doctor, just spend lots of time at a bar. Exactly. That's you hear the moral of the story, right? <laughs> you'd grasp anything from this, it's that. I think that sometimes people are maybe just more approachable than mm. others because I get the same thing. Yeah. And every we my band just released this funny video about people you meet when you play in a band and this guy comes up to us and well, it's just me playing this character, but this guy comes up to us and asks for a smoke and he's telling old stories and stuff. And that happens pretty much 100% of the time when we're playing a show, but it's, I guess it's cause I just give off maybe a welcoming vibe yeah. and they think I want to talk to yeah. them and I don't at all. <laughs> like, I want to tell them to go frig off, yeah. but I'm just, Oh yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. Great. Maybe. Or that's crazy. Yeah, man. That, and like after so many of those, you'd think people would be like, Oh, okay. Maybe switch yeah. it up a little. We're at six. That's crazy. So <laughs> <laughs> we're done here. Yeah. But I think, yeah, a, a warm personality can invite that into the, the world mm -hmm. and people like that kind of find find us. <laughs> yes, they find you <laughs> sitting in corners by yourself. Yeah. And then where, no matter where you are, they'll find you. <laughs> is that part of just who you've always been? Like what kind of led you to feel like this is the scope of work that I feel maybe I'm meant to, to do? That's a hilarious question. Um, I had no register of this. So I get, well, that's not true. My brother had very bad eczema growing up. And my mother was, like, ahead of her time. So she would always give us, like, mullein oil in our ears if we had ear infections, if we had 
um, any sort of like respiratory stuff, echinacea, she would give like she, it was always natural until it had to be medical intervention. We break her arm. She wasn't going to like put herbs on it or anything like she's not too she's not too out there um but she uh always kept it on the natural front as much as possible and then um so that was like in the back of my mind and my brother had that like horrific weeping eczema and my mom took him to a naturopath and it was cured through like some food eliminations and um some topical stuff that he had put on so it was in the back of my mind somewhere and she was so health focused and health oriented i figured I'd never even put it on my register that that would be something that I would be interested in. Um, I actually wanted to go to NASCAD starting Ooh. out. Funny no enough. kidding. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea this part of you. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I would always like art class was my favorite. I love painting. I love drawing, all that sort of stuff. But my life was sports, rinks, like you name it. I was probably on the ice at least, you know, seven days a week growing up or some sort of sporting event. Hockey? Yeah. Hockey, yeah. uh, volleyball, soccer, ringette was a big one. So I played so many different sports growing up, and that took up the majority of my time. And then we can probably get some into a little bit of the health aspects of that. But I was going so much. I was iron deficient looking back, nutrient deficient looking back, just because you were going so often. I didn't like breakfast like every other kid in the world, didn't eat enough. So you were just exhausted pretty well all of the time. So to do those things that you were super passionate about or needed like additional time for, just like now, there's not like additional time to do art often, I feel, even though it's probably the place that, you know, brings me so much joy and, and I'm not going to say clarity, but like chillness. I just feel like when I'm drawing or something, I, I get back to a reset and I process a bunch of stuff and I know running, some people do that running, some people do that, whatever your pastime is, but art was always that for me. and then. My dad made me a deal. He was just like, if you go to business school, I'll pay for your art school after. And I was like, that's a huge deal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it was great like, business sense on his friend. He was a very um, business-driven guy. He did so well in his um, career. And he kind of, his thought process was like, at least I'll have some footing under me if, if art doesn't work out. Or then all the entrepreneurship stuff that would come with art would be great. You know what I mean? Where did you grow up? I grew up a little bit in Cole Harbor um, up till grade six, and then my dad got transferred. Um, he had the option to move to Toronto or to New Brunswick, <laughs> and so like two different worlds it could have been. My whole life could have been so different, um, but he chose New Brunswick just because it kept my mom closer to her family, and it was a good move for probably everyone. Um, so then Moncton was the rest of the time mm -hmm. until I went to Dow. And sports were always a part of your life in some capacity. How did you, how did you get into to playing sports? Where did it all begin? Totally. I think <laughs> I, my mom talks about this recently. She was saying, um, like, I just had a kid a year ago, and my mom had me three or four months, when my brother was three or four months old. So I was just thinking back, like, I had a huge baby. He is amazing, takes up all of my free time. And then she comes along and says, like, yeah, like, this time I would have been pregnant with you. And when he was four months old, and I'm like, how did you do that? <laughs> how is that possible? And um, so then I was thinking, like, to entertain now a one-year-old, like, what do you do with them? Like, you can't really, I mean, you could teach them some stuff, but it's, it's nothing revolutionary that you're instilling upon them at, like, one year old, you know? So I was like, well, what did you do with us? And she's like, well, in a little bit, I took you guys skating every single day. 
And she said one of her friends was uh, struggling with some mental health stuff. So she would take her three kids. My mom would take their three kids too. So there was five of us going to like Cole Harbor Place, you know, mm. every Tuesday and Thursday morning on the ice. So I think that that was the start of things. And I wanted to be my brother so bad growing mm. up. So he was a hockey player and I was just like, whatever I can do. I took his number. He was number two. And I was just like, I just <laughs> want to be you. You're so cool. Please like me. Yes, I'll do anything for you to like me. <laughs> uh, so then it was just sports from there on out. And ho- hockey was your your first love? Mm, I think ringette would have been like ringette, the first yeah. adventure that I was on sports-wise. And uh, I played hockey, ringette, and I did a lot of power skating all at once. I think I was way better at ringette than I ever was at hockey, but there's way more places to go with hockey than there was ringette. So I ended up getting to play Hockey for Dal, and you would never have like a university opportunity with Ringette, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, because so, Mike and I have been lifelong athletes as well, different sports, but I, I often wonder now as a middle-aged woman, if that was good or detrimental to my body looking back, because there was a lot of injury and abuse and bruises and like... Is it a positive thing to have been going that hard for so long? <laughs> According to my research, uh, no, but um, I don't know. I'm always, I'm still conflicted with this. I read so much research about this and I think like the human body is so resilient if you give it the capacity to rehab and recover and do all the things that it needs to do. And just looking back in my instance, like being completely iron deficient skipping all of these meals not in like a dysfunctional eating sense just in like you're running to the rink kind of sense and um then you know playing that many sports being that all of those ice times all of this that you were putting out like you weren't recovering appropriately or I wasn't recovering appropriately for any of this so I think you can do it I think you just need some support with it yeah and there seems to be a lot more information than when we were children nowadays so there's some hope there well my dad, who grew up playing basketball in the 70s, wearing Chuck Taylors. Yeah, exactly. Not because they were cool, it's because they were basketball sneakers at the time. And he played at Dalhousie, and he was on Team Nova Scotia, played in the Canada Games. But he, from playing with poor sneakers, without stretching, warming up, cooling down, like all of that, no one knew about those things back then. He uh, he had to have two uh, artificial hips put in in his when he was in his forties actually, mm-hmm. so he was like the youngest person in Canada to have it done. Other than like someone who has like an accident, like hit by a car and they need to get replaced. But he just from wear and tear mm-hmm. of being an athlete, he had had artificial hips at a very young age. It's so wild that like. And I speak to a lot of athletes about this, too, because everyone's come back is like, well, Gretzky ate hot dogs before his game. And I'm like, yeah, but like, imagine he didn't. Like, could he have been better or like, could he have stayed in the game longer (laughs) or, you know? Yeah, this helped him get by. That's not to say it's like the breakfast of champions. You hear these stories, too. I just saw a story the other day of a guy that ran a marathon and he would smoke a cigarette. Chinese guy, yeah. Yeah, like this is not, you know, advocating for smoking and running, but it's just, yeah, you see these things and you kind of giggle at it. Three and a half hours. I mean, that's impressive, actually. I almost wanted to like post and be like, why do I work? Like, what am I doing? (laughs) What is my job? If people can do this, why do I do what I do? I think he would be considered an anomaly, though. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, he could run it in two and a half hours if he didn't smoke. Yeah, there you go. There you go. 
that's the goalpost. That's what I always tell the young kids. And um, the time and time again, the the main problem is usually not eating enough or um, never hitting any protein targets. So as soon as we work on with that, with that, with a lot of the athletes, like their strength increases, they can get through the full game. They don't get gassed in the third. Like there's so many helpful things that you can do. And then <clears throat> the hardcore aspect, like maybe we don't need to start when you're six years old. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure for perfection and performance, too, that can't risks taking the fun out of it, too. Like, I would never discourage children, especially young girls, to not pursue athletics because there's so much to it beyond just what happens to your physical body. You're part of a team and a community and you're traveling and meeting new people and learning uh, competition and failure and all these good life lessons. So there's there's that aspect of sport, too, that's mm -hmm. so important and profound for kids. Oh, definitely. And you can't get it really anywhere else, I don't think. I'm curious, though, before we move too much into the now, mm -hmm. how N NASCAD being an art school here in Halifax uh, is much different than pursuing a career in the sciences. Mm -hmm. So were these kind of equal interests or was it your interest in sports that you thought, well, I can sort of apply this passion to a career this way? Totally. Um, I think when I started... Um, <laughs> again funny enough I think there's these little things in your childhood that like keep like gnawing at you and gnawing at you and even though you have this different vision of what you want to do or steer clear of like other people's inputs I think there's something there if people see something in you maybe that's something to hold on to and my dad had this like anatomy set this super old school I don't even think the anatomy was right in it like there, it had like <laughs> placements of stuff but you could take uh the skin off then you could take the skeletons out Whoa. and then you could see all the organs on the inside I was obsessed with this toy and I just loved it so much. And um, it was so old school, but I, I just remember always coming back to that. And then when I finished at Dal for uh, my Bachelor's of Commerce, I did three work terms with it. And each work term I was in a like an office job, cubicle. Lunch was like the best time of the day. <laughs> like, <laughs> there was one job that was pretty sweet. I uh, worked for Citizenship and Immigration Canada. And they had to do this thing where they you had to prove that people were in the country when they said that they were in the country when they were applying for Canadian citizenship. So I would, like, take their passports and do entry and exit date um, inventory, essentially. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was kind of cool, but then you thought about the other side of things. Like, this means they're not getting their citizenship if you, like, mess this up, essentially. So, like... I'm sure there was checklist that wasn't I wasn't the end of the road for that like I wasn't the, the decider or anything <laughs> but just like to collect information um it, cool but didn't want to sit in an office forever and then I was like go back to what you know like what are you good at I love sports and I I don't love nutrition but something I'm always interested in I wanted to be a, a conventional medical doctor but then I thought about like the time that I would take to do that looking back like it would have been faster than what I chose to do but um I don't know it wasn't really my calling there was nothing in me that was just like go to medical school I just thought it was a cool idea kind of and then so I what I assume would be the next best thing would be dietetics so I went through the dietetics program at Mount St. Vincent and because I took all science electives when I was doing commerce I got to cut off like a couple of years and uh, do my internship there and I ended up working with uh, long-term care facilities. I ended up working with like every hospital in Nova Scotia at some point. And I worked at Halifax or yeah, Nova Scotia Rehab, Halifax Rehab Center. And I was giving like Canada's old food guide to 
patients with double leg amputations from diabetes complications. So, like, we missed the boat there. Like, mm-hmm. me handing you a piece of paper when you have a two-liter pop next to your bed and both your legs have been amputated because you haven't tried to get your blood sugars regulated. Like, what am I doing? I'm not helping. So then I thought of the stance of, like, more prevention, more preventative medicine, get people earlier on, get people in the door who want to hear from you, who are paying either out of pocket or, like, specifically using their insurance to come see you. And... um that's what led me to naturopathic medicine. The amazing thing about naturopathic medicine and meeting with a doctor like like yourself is that, and we've talked about this on our podcast before when Kristen was going through issues losing your hearing, is that you listen. You, you, you're there for an hour, an hour and a half, and you're just driving the questions in the nicest way possible, mm-hmm. but you're, you're trying to get to the root of things. Mm-hmm. You're trying to figure out what you can actually do to help. And a lot of cases when you go in to see a, a medical doctor, and not that they're not trying to help, but it's just, I don't know, just the way the system's set up seems like they don't either don't have the time to do that, just since there's so many people trying to get in, or it's just... Yeah, just just the way it is, maybe in Nova Scotia, maybe Canada, maybe everywhere, but a naturopath just dives into the issue. And I know anytime we've ever been to one, it's been an amazing experience. Yeah, and I think that's it's important because you and I can talk about this without Nicole having to say, like, this is how great, you know, my practice is or how much attention we pay because we've had the experience of coming to see you and other naturopaths and I always feel better, like maybe whatever I've come in with isn't cured. I mentally and emotionally feel better after that appointment because it's like someone has often finally, I'll use the word finally because that's usually how you feel, Mm. has listened to you. And that alone feels good. And I found any time that, and we're not here to, you know, knock on the traditional medical system because it absolutely serves a purpose, of course, but there's something to be said for the emotional aspect of not feeling well and being heard. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd love to hear how that relationship feels for you on on your side of things. Yeah, it's pretty incredible um, when you get that feedback from almost every person that sits in the room. Like, just I know we didn't fix anything today, but like, just thank you for listening. Um, and I think that's like maybe a huge part to getting better is just being heard and being um having some validity in in what you believe is happening to your body. And I think that that is how people heal, whether we find the right cure, let's call it, or not. It's more so like recognizing that there is a problem. Maybe it's a lifestyle thing. Maybe it's a trauma thing. Maybe it's a, oh, you just need to take this and you'll feel better. That's rarely the case, unfortunately. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, so day in and day out, I, I do hear that. And it and like it maybe it could make you feel like you should be on some sort of pedestal for that. And I think that that's not the case at all. I think our healthcare system has to change, has to be more integrative. And you're right. Um, that is how the system is set up. So as far as I understand it, like through MSI coverage for a doctor to get paid an appropriate amount or a living wage, they have to see X amount of patients in a day. Mm. That equates to like three to seven minutes per person, I think. And you have to see like an astronomical amount of people in the day. So to get into like 
your childhood and to get into all of these things that are so impactful to your health today or your belief systems or, you know, your your root feeling of who you are and how you interact with the world. I get an hour and 15 minutes to do that. They get they're not even asking those questions. Right. So everything is very like Band-Aid approach. And I'm glad we have them because, you know, if if you break your arm, I want to go to the hospital and, and those types mm-hmm. of things. But there's so much more to health. And I think there's such like animosity between the conventional medical system and alternative practitioners and alternative therapy. And I hope that's the only change that I see for the future. Like maybe we can't revamp the entire system, but could we have this more open system where, you know what, I I don't have time for that or I'm not able to treat that. I can give you this medication to support you, but you should also go um, address some lifestyle stuff, you know, or or talk to a dietitian or so many things that we can do to help mitigate symptoms and mitigate pain and and get to the root of what's going on in people's lives. Hey, Kristen, do you know what's awesome? What, Mike? Real food bars. Mm, They're so delicious. They are delicious. I take them on my runs with me because they're such clean fuel. Like you're out on the track and you open up a bar while you're running? Yeah, just tear it open right there on the spot. That's versatile. They source all local ingredients. All local? So they call themselves Made with Local because they support so many local farmers and food makers. Where are those farmers based out of that they support? Nova Scotia. Holy smokes, this is (laughs) getting even better and better. Where can you buy their products? So they still manufacture in Nova Scotia, but you can find their product all across Canada now. This is unreal. And they started out as just a small table at a farmer's market and have now achieved B Corp certification. That sounds pretty fancy. Yeah, they have tons of delicious flavors. I'm partial to anything with peanut butter and chocolate, as you know, but they also have lemon and blueberry, uh, gingerbread for the holidays. Oh man, they are pretty darn delicious and healthy. Like when I eat like seven in a row, if I ate seven Mars bars, you know, I'd feel like I was going to die, but I eat seven of those and I feel like I can take over the world. Yeah, you could lift a car after that. Yeah, you get this like power in your bones. Made with local. And where can we find these bars and all the great products they create? So I usually pick up my real food bars just at our local grocery store, but they're also found in lots of health food stores, gas stations, and little markets across the country. They are doing awesome, and they taste awesome, nutritious, and delicious real food bars. Real food bars. Made with local. Made with local. I love how you mentioned that like a holistic approach should not feel like a luxury. And even using some of the jargon we do nowadays about self-care, for example, like, is this really taking a time out for yourself? And, you know, it's often talked about as this luxury experience of a getaway or carving out time to do these things. And it's like, this is just how our life should be. Mm-hmm. Like, this is just this, I think, should be the the baseline norm that you're not doing this special thing for yourself by getting fresh air and sunlight and eating good food and having time to cook for yourself and source the right foods and get exercise. But it's, yeah, it's kind of like this uh, anomaly experience that, you know, we think is this big treat to ourselves that we get to do something healthy. (laughs) It should be like your everyday, right? Yeah, it should just be your everyday. But uh, I'm curious how... How would your training look different than a traditional medical doctor? Yeah, so I always see um, the little breakdowns of how much time we spend in each course. So uh, 
The main difference that I see is the amount of nutrition education we get. And then, of course, we do botanical medicine. We do traditional Chinese medicine. Um, There's now the option to do homeopathy. When I went to school, there was not an option uh, of the course. You had to take it. Um, And in the conventional medical system, pharmacology would be like the main hours spent. So you can see the dichotomy there of the two systems, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And each naturopath gets, I mean, the system as a whole gets a little bit knocked on because there are people, you know, practicing very interesting types of medicine. There's not like a conventional norm or wording that would encompass all naturopaths. And I would say like maybe the same for, you know, conventional medical doctors. There's some out there doing their own thing. There's some, um, but in a whole, I would say society understands a doctor and whether that's the greatest understanding or not, I'm not sure. It's more so we put these doctors on pedestals and say like, whatever they say must be the right thing. And I think like the more I do and the more I learn, the more I would suggest that people start to challenge that narrative and start to ask questions of, of is this the right thing? Is is this great for my life? Maybe it is, but maybe it's time to start to, you know, take your health a little bit more into your own hands and start asking questions about what you're being given and why you're being given it and how long you have to stay on it and all of the things that should be part of informed consent that I feel like are getting missed a lot. I, I feel it's really hard for people to make decisions and choices because there's so much conflicting information out there especially with food Mm -hmm. like one day you hear okay you should be eating white bread's the diet to go on Mm -hmm. then maybe the carnivore diet i never actually heard of a white i was gonna say what is this white (laughs) (laughs) i'm just making up something that's our holiday diet i'm I'm sure in the 70s there was a white bread diet yeah what was the one i think there was like an egg and wine diet in the 70s yeah Yeah. for for specific to housewives exactly yeah So listen, there was a white bread diet somewhere at some point exist. in time. But there's, yeah, there's there's paleo, carnivore, mm-hmm. vegan, vegetarian. There's a And each side always has the argument for themselves and against the other one. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and evidence, like supporting yeah. evidence too, mm-hmm. which makes it really difficult. Which then makes me believe, okay, maybe someone being vegan works for them, but maybe being uh, on a certain... More high protein uh, diet works for me, but I think is it. Do you think it's more of an individual basis on who the person is and what they've been through and what their digestive systems like? like? Definitely, and I wouldn't even like knock somebody if they're sitting in the office and maybe based if it's a strong medical thing that I should address, then maybe I will comment on it. But like. If you're gung-ho about this thing and you're passionate and you're excited and you've changed your diet radically and you're starting to make healthier choices, I don't really care how you got there. Um, The trickiest thing with all diets is like they're restrictive in some sort of nature. So people fall off of them. And Mm -hmm. then that yo-yo effect is the the most detrimental thing to, to everyone's life. So you restrict, you restrict, you restrict. And then by human nature, you end up binging. And I listened to a podcast the other day and they were talking about like, this thing we keep call human nature, keep calling human nature. Like, is this truly a thing or is it just like a cop out to be able to say, well, I'm human and this is how yeah. this works. So we just I'm, eat Mars bars. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking about that the other day of like, oh, maybe this is something that could be pushed a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I've never seen compelling evidence for one diet that everyone should follow. Mm-hmm. So there's so many things that go into the decision making process. Like, 
if for vegan, for example, is it maybe the best for performance of an athlete? Mm, we could we could break that down a little bit. Um, is it wrong for a, an athlete? No. Like if that's uh, reduces stress in terms of their impact on how they believe they're, uh, you know, at peace with the world and, and how all of that, or maybe that's the best thing for them for the headspace part of things. <clears throat> so I think with all of these diets and all of these um, options, like if you're trying to get healthier and it's something that you can consistently adhere to, then you won the game. I would say. Are you, do you experiment with these types of diets yourself just so that you have that input? Totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I did carnivore for a while. I did uh, keto for a while. I was vegetarian for years. White bread. Usually next Christmas time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I've, I've tried them all just to have some like tips and tricks. If you want to do them, nothing was sustainable. Like usually for me, I can usually just put my head down and do something. But after a month, like I got sick of meat after the keto, I was so sick of eating such high fat foods. Like I don't, I mean, you could certainly push through it and I could have, but then I was like, why, why am I doing this? Like I had no intention for like body composition changes. I just wanted to see what it would do. But for all of these people, like there's nothing that I, I truly believe there's nothing that's going to come out of. There's no social media thing that has the answer to weight loss that has this key thing that's going to radically change your life aside from you picking something and being very consistent towards it. Are you finding that weight loss is still front and center? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to talk to you about this today mm -hmm. because, I mean, I know growing up, we can we could talk all day about body image, especially in women. And, and you know, Mike and I have talked recently about this is impacting men as well. It might not be as uh, highly discussed, but I, I I see a little bit of a shift maybe in our generation that's thinking more about their health mm -hmm. and that's so refreshing. But there we we've lived, it's so ingrained in us to care what our body looks like that as much as I don't like to admit it, like I, I really, really wish this was not a true statement, but mm -hmm. I do still think about those things. Totally. And I yeah, I wanted to Talk to you, I guess, about how common this is in your practice, but just your kind of input or thoughts on why this is not maybe what we should be focusing on. Totally. Um, it's so funny. I'll be like in my intake form and has like three things, three chief complaints. We call them the first one. I don't know, maybe like gut health for someone, migraines. And the third one is like five to 10 pound weight. It's yeah. always five to 10 pound weight loss. <laughs> and it's so funny to have those conversations like, cool, sure. I mean, like I give you a laxative and you lose five to 10 pounds. Yeah, now, easy. Great. <laughs> now what? Right. And like the the scale is the enemy of existence. Like I have patients that weigh every single day on that scale. And if that determines how they're going to feel the rest of the day, that determines their outcome, how they interact with people, what they feel about themselves, like even though maybe in social media we have this push and drive towards relinquishing that thought process or association to body composition, it's still so, so prevalent. And even in younger communities, like even young girls, uh, young female athletes, you know, my body looks different than theirs. And I'm sure growing up as an athlete, that's something that you struggled with and certainly something that I struggle with. Like I have tree trunks for legs. That's not going to change, you know, and I played hockey. So it just grew and grew and grew and clothes didn't fit. And you know, yes. it was, 
Yes. Was, I was a figure skater and I remember my legs would be just busting at the seams in yeah. my jeans and like six inches at the waist. Yeah. Like, yeah. You just don't Nothing fit, fit properly. Yeah. yeah. Or you get like size 12, 13 just to like fit your legs. But yeah. then, yeah. So <clears throat> if we put any valuation or measurement on this, then we're we're setting ourselves up for failure. Right. So what do we do about that? For some of us, it's been so ingrained from day one, from parental comments, from grandmothers like pinching your hips from like just little things like that are just so prevalent into who you perceive you are in the world and I've had um, a lot of patients lose a bunch of weight and still doesn't fix anything it still has that headspace right yeah so what I've been trying to do is like certainly as push towards health try to use metrics that aren't a scale body composition is not a horrible one because at least we get to see if your body's changing in terms of putting some muscle mass on or <clears throat> dropping some body fat percent. Um, but like, how do we get these tangible things where, you know, some people will come in and be like, yeah, I lost like two pounds and I'm super frustrated and I'm doing everything that you asked. And I'm like, okay, well, like, how do you feel? And they're like, well, yeah, like my brain fog's gone and my energy's way up and I'm I'm playing with my kids on the floor more. And I'm like, why does this not matter to you yeah. as much as it should? Right. Wow. And do you think it's because it's something we can measure? Maybe, maybe it's something that you have like a perceived control over. Um, yeah. And like, it's just been, again, ingrained in our society that that number has some sort of effect on how the world perceives you. Um, if we could break that association, like, or if I could figure that out, I'd probably be like a millionaire in some person. Mm. Not that it's about money, but it's like, ha- it's still so in the back of everyone's mind constantly. So I have like this saying too, like, for any sort of other metrics or statistics, it's something varied that much on a daily basis. So if you have to go to the bathroom, the scale's going to change. If you drink a bunch of water the night before, the scale's going to change. If you, I don't know, had a sandwich, the scale is going to change. But that's like how the body and physiology works. So if something was that variable in any other metric, in any other job, like nobody would put valuation on it because there's no stability there. There's It's not telling you anything. But for whatever reason, this this has just been ingrained in us that it, it is so important or has some sort of impact on you, right? It's crazy that talking about the fluctuations in what you can do with your, your body weight, people can lose 40 pounds in a week mm-hmm. like for like losing, cutting weight for yep. a fight or something. Like, hey, I weigh 185 pounds on this day, but when I, the next day I'm going to be 200 and. 24 pounds yeah which is yeah that doesn't even seem possible yeah well they, they basically kill yeah. themselves yeah. they're very close to death yeah yep like and people have died cutting mm-hmm. weight like it's that it's your organs are you're depriving your organs of water and yeah your brain yeah i think stuff. bodybuilding like a similar in, like for the shows that they totally. do it's like a couple days before is mm-hmm. just torture on your body it totally is and then you could imagine the visual image of you standing on that stage, how would anything else be good enough if you could look like that? Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's just such a messed up way to see yourself. It's its own form of like body dysmorphia. And on the athletic side of things, <clears throat> that's a huge part of it too. So, so many uh, graduated or ex-athletes will be like, well, I, I used to look like this. And I'm like, yeah, but like you trained every single day, probably two a days. You were doing cardio. You had a very restricted nutrition plan people made you food now you have like two kids a family to support and you work nine to five like uh, 
it's it's not the same. We're not working with the same inputs. You're not getting the same outputs, right? How do you change people's mindset or attempt to mm-hmm. in, in this regard? Visit after visit. <laughs> and like um, slowly, sometimes light bulbs go on um, over time. And then I think one of the main things is these tangible outcomes that they can start to put weight on that is not a scale. So, you know what, like what are you working towards um, now that, you know, maybe you're not in a sporting career anymore Um, what would it look like for you to say you have accomplished something or that you feel good? And whether that be like five pull-ups or something like that, then when they get to the five, they're like, yeah, no, my body is changing. I am getting stronger. Honestly, like maybe if I still ask them in the back of their head, it still has a lot to do with uh, what they have on that scale or what they feel like in their clothes. And I can understand that because it would take years of rewiring to, to change that headspace. But even the acceptance that there is more to the scale is probably step one. I would say. Yeah. Are things like body mass index, and you talked about the Canada Food Guide before, and I don't want to put you on the spot to, Mm -hmm. you know, talk badly about these resources that have been researched, Mm -hmm. but how these these are things that we're told to reference. Mm -hmm. And I, I think about things like that, similar to walking through an aisle at a grocery store with things that are labeled like all natural or enhanced and these words that you assume are good for you. Yep. It feels just so confusing and complicated for people to make decisions. Totally. How do you consider these resources that are so kind of widely marketed to us? I I'm and that's probably the toughest part. Like you think you're doing a good job. You think you think you should be gluten-free. So you go gluten-free options, gluten-free muffins are still muffins. They're still full of sugar, right? And <clears throat> society would believe because you made a gluten-free choice you're making a better option for yourself or like all natural i mean cane sugar all natural cane it's still it's still sugar right so i think everyone out there is trying to do their best and trying to do good jobs and i think it really comes back to this uh 40 hour work week that we have to work like even now realizing how much time you put into work a lot of people have a commute throw kids on top of the there's just no time to cook homemade meals anymore right and oftentimes now both um household members are working so there's we can't get back to the roots of of cooking and a lot of people have lost the roots of cooking they don't even know how to cook you know so there's so many inputs that would have to change for this to improve or for this to be better i also think of this when i go to the health food store like why is there a health or sorry the superstore like why is there health food section i saw that uh on social media and I was like yeah that's a really great question yeah, <laughs> yeah. shouldn't it just be food, food. and it, shouldn't it be what we eat this is the mm. food store yeah and I it overcomplicates mm. so much for people and I think if we were to keep it the most simple like if it is a real food with not like if it doesn't come out of a box or if there's not like an ingredient list you should be good to go but then time right time is the other thing of essence and and almost worth as much or more than money for a lot of people too so i know i get caught up into the trap like of working all day and then coming home and you're just like i just i staring at mac you want to play more play with him for a little bit of time and then you have to have something you have to put something into you and and if i struggle doing it knowing all the consequences of doing it you can imagine with somebody without all of the knowledge and education on how the food system works and and what it's being pumped full of and what we're being marketed to like how could they stand a fighting chance you know yeah are there certain aspects of your research that 
you're particularly drawn to? Like, are you kind of constantly like, I wonder if there's anything new on this? Totally. Uh, there's so many different things that I get kind of hyper-focused on, I would say. Uh, female athletics, just because of my background, is probably one that I'm always super interested in. That has led me <clears throat> through... M- they said that this was going to happen in school, too. Like, as you go through different processes in your life, you get hyper-focused on those areas and how to support and help. I think, like, women's health in general is really fascinating. Takes a lot of time to get anywhere. There's not a lot of great research out there. Slowly, it's starting to come. Um, Then that progressed into pregnancy. I was super interested in how that whole process worked. Now I know a little bit. Hmm. And the next big part that I'm super interested in is, like, the menopausal athlete. So there's so much that happens at menopause. There's so much of like every woman goes through it and there's nothing, there's no information about it. No conventional medical doctor, I can't say no, but very limited uh, conventional medicine is looking at supportive techniques. And uh, every woman is suffering with so many changes. And then my other thought process of this is I'm heavily into like the entrepreneurship realm and people um, pushing the envelope. And then for the females in those societies, we're trained to attack it as if uh, being a male is probably the most advantageous way to do it. So like stereotypes aside, like bigger, stronger, faster, work as hard as you can, grind all hours. But for a woman, that doesn't really like work with our system. And then, you know, around that 50 year old mark, our system starts to shut down and we still have like 20, 30 plus years of maybe work in us. So we're being faced with such a disadvantage. We see massive brain changes at that time. We see massive performance diminishes at that time. And yet we're supposed to keep up or not change. And um, it's tough. This is such an overlooked conversation. Like you've pointed out, I remember being on a yoga retreat a few years ago. I'd gone to Costa Rica and I was fortunate enough to be the youngest one in my mid thirties and there were women up to their seventies that had attended. And I took full advantage of just pumping them with questions about when did this happen for you and what are some of the signs and symptoms? And I, I found with perimenopause and menopause as per their description, and this really can apply, I think to a lot of things. I mean, you would of course know better, but the symptoms felt so subtle and common that it's hard maybe to recognize them as a as a sign of aging or mm-hmm. of menopause. And, you know, you think about things that are common like stress or headaches or lack of sleep, and that can be so many things. It's hard to identify maybe what the root cause is. Mm-hmm. Fatigue. Fatigue. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and this is a lot of uh, going back to the um, self-help stuff. It's like, do you have any of these symptoms? Like, of course, what all living day, human day. doesn't have fatigue every and stress and yeah. all of this stuff? So, like, how how do you go move through uh, a diagnosis or kind of getting to the root cause of some of these things, menopause included, mm-hmm. knowing that a lot of the symptoms are shared with any number of other things? Totally. It's, um, have you guys ever watched the show House? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It feels like that some days. You're just like, oh, okay, well, we'll try this and see if this works. And yeah. if not, and then you're on to the next. You're an investigator. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> yeah. That's what it feels like. And unfortunately, for um, the way, naturally, like you have $500 of coverage. So I don't want to waste people's time. I also, to be honest, don't have time to go home and research for 10 hours on each individual case. I wish I could. I'd be super interested in doing that. Um, 
But I guess educated guesses or the more experience that I get, that's like a symptom to like look out for. There is continuing education that we have to do every um, two years. I think you need like 40 plus hours of it. So I find like when you learn something new too, you start to think about it more in office. And, th- and I just did a huge one on on menopause. So you're starting to like be hyper-focused or hyper-aware on some of those symptoms. So yeah, to know what the root cause is. I love blood work. That was another thing that I was going to mention as something that I'm getting quite passionate about is like precision medicine. So taking you as an individual and really figuring out like what your body needs. And that is a luxury at this point. A lot of like functional medicine testing would have to be um, out of pocket, which they have astronomical price tags associated with them. And but it would tell me exactly how we can make you thrive. So what's that worth? A lot. Yeah. Mm. How do you know when you're pushing yourself too much? Because both myself and Kristen seem to always get to a point where we we get an injury. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kristen just injured her knee training for a marathon just at the very last Yeah, stage. my taper week. Oh, no. This happened. So 10 years ago, I tried training for a marathon, yeah. got to my taper week, ended up on crutches. And this time around, fast forward 10 years, I'm like, doing ice baths and massage and like feeding my, like I've done the the research is I, at least I think I have and have trained like so wisely and the exact same thing, exact same week. Mm. Like my body's just like, no, this is where you tap out. <laughs> no go. But it's really, it's very actually emotional. Like I'm in that phase of like kind of just rehabbing now and it's very upsetting. Like, you work so hard. Yeah. You work so hard and mm. it feels like for nothing, but yeah, we kind of have this history of we've become aware of our limitations and try to recognize those sooner before it becomes a problem. But as lifelong athletes, we can all appreciate what it's like to want to push that little bit harder. Like there's something rewarding mentally about that accomplishment and the the feeling of toughness and grit. Like we thrive in that, mm-hmm. too. So, how, yeah. How do you advise to strike that balance? Yeah, do as I say, not as I do usually <laughs> yeah. is how it goes. Um, this is a fascinating concept to me, and I think, like, maybe there's an individualized component to it, but I always talk about, like, recovery versus re- uh, adaptation. So those are two big frameworks, and I'll kind of speak to them in a second. And then this other part of what I think about all the time is, like, resiliency. So picking up a marathon like is this making you more resilient to the things that you're going to face in the world maybe um and all of the things that you do is are they all making you more resilient or were they are we putting you um in a stressful situation that we don't need to put you in a stressful situation for and i guess that would again come down to such like an individualized sit down and say like you know what like do you love running maybe uh is it something do you need to run a marathon okay so then we do all the things to yeah. move forward with it versus like if we really get to the why of why you're doing what you're doing, would like a different gym practice stimulate you and get you to that next level? And I think a lot of times now I'm talking a lot about uh, athletic performance versus longevity. And for a lot of athletes, we are stuck in this athlete mindset of like, why can't I do what I did before? Or I'll just get back to five days a week because I used to be able to do five days a week and all of these processes that would put us in uh, a disadvantage for uh, recovery. So coming up with the recovery versus the adaptation thought process with recovery, 
I'm pretty sure the bodies can do anything as long as you recover it appropriately. And with the recovery process, we have to factor in lifestyle too. So when you're asking individually for you guys, like where we would come to the point of burnout or or potential for injury, like even though you guys both seem to be doing something that you love, you can hit capacity limits for it, right? And then when we add on things like you're already quite busy and then you chose to train for a marathon and and is this the right time of the year for you and kind of factoring in some of those other lifestyle factors that might actually really influence your success in these things does that kind of make sense where i'm going with that oh yeah and it's of course it would be individual i mean right down to body structure and yeah geography weather Mm -hmm. like all those things would matter so it's yeah it's hard to answer that question Mm -hmm. for like a blanket statement but maybe it's just yeah i think we've improved like you you get to know your body it's it's more of a mental thing that's hard to let go of yeah it's mm-hmm. it's always every injury i ever had in my life and some of them are from playing instruments even it's always from overuse mm-hmm. it's never i did something and broke a bone it's always yeah. tendons ligaments yeah. and just i did this too much and it's it seems unfair like oh i'm working really hard at this mm-hmm. And now I can't play guitar for two years because I played guitar too much kind of thing. Or train for a marathon for five months Mm -hmm. and can't run it because I trained too hard. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) It's just just almost, yeah, it just feels unfair at Mm -hmm. times. Like, but you got, you have to, and it's taken a long time to try to learn to listen to your body Mm -hmm. and I guess I'm kind of cluing in how to do things a little bit better now. And I used to never take days off from anything and, and even work in general. I don't really take days off just cause I'm a self-employed artist. And I, there's, there's never like a end of work that can be yeah. done. Like I could work for 24 hours every day and still have endless work to yep. be done. Cause there's the level of, where things can go is ultimately infinite. Yep. So it's yeah, the, it, it's hard to get in the mind space of like, oh, I did I did enough today. I'm just gonna sit back and relax. And obviously, we'll we'll watch Netflix and yep. do fun things. But my mind is always kind of thinking about okay, I gotta work on this video. I gotta finish writing this song. I gotta write this grant. I gotta contact these venues. So it's just there's always kind of a, a list and trying to separate from that is one thing. And then I guess the, the whole side of overworking in terms of uh, getting injuries, but I'm sure they're, they're linked in there. <laughs> Definitely. I think if you think of it all as like, <clears throat> not to overuse this analogy, but the, like this bucket of effect, right. And I've been talking to a lot of athletes about this and younger athletes too, like from day one, it's like more is better. You know, you get hurt, get back out there. That's the mind frame. And I think, there's some resiliency factor that's very important in that, but there's also this other part that, you know, we're just beating your body down for no reason and we're going to lose passion for things that we love sometimes when that happens and we're going to lose the ability to do the things that we love when, when we get down those routes too. So I think for what you're talking about, like if we can imagine playing guitar is like one part of this bucket that you're filling a partial ways and then all of the things that go into playing guitar and keeping the entrepreneurship and you know marketing dreams alive and if we think about this as like an actual capacity limit and being really realistic of what you could accomplish in a day I mean there's 
not an infinite amount of brain space that somebody could actually be productive to, right? So are we just like spinning our tires if you spend those extra three hours in the evening time, I don't know, trying to write a grant, whereas if you could yeah. just put it down and then come back to it first thing in the morning after a good night's rest, which would be in way more impactful to your recovery versus yeah. just staying up all night, you know? So poor examples, maybe not as specific to your lifestyle, but making really good decisions. And we often recover once something bad has happened too. So if we really start to incorporate that recovery process as if it is um, part of the winning process, let's say. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the breath work, the rest, if those are on par and on level with practicing your guitar, then in theory, you should be able to go much longer being able to do those things, you know? Yeah, no, that that, that makes perfect sense. And I think just with with time and well getting getting advice from people like you and like l luckily there's so many resources out there like youtube and just yep. when you find someone you 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 like you can dig into what they have to say but that that's another thing and navigating through that pile of what may be good and maybe <laughs> bad so again having professionals like you is uh is very meaningful to be able to pick your brains and get information from totally social media is a beast like especially in the health oh well in every realm i'm sure like yeah. i am only in the you know health and wellness realm from what i look at but there's just stuff that's that there's, like that's huge yeah, yeah yeah there's just it's like straight up not true and my thought process is really like this is innovation right like there's going to be something that is true and it might change the world but we have to put our like really strong thinking caps on for a lot of these things and say like, sure, maybe, you know, I don't know, doing headstands on Tuesdays at six o'clock in the morning is the best thing in the world for a human body. But like, is it the best thing in the world for your human body and like your life experience and, you know, how you navigate life? So I don't know why I came up with that example. But. <laughs> I, I remember uh, seeing an article once and it was like, do these three moves twice a week yeah. and you'll be basically invincible. Mm -hmm. And it was like, they were the three hardest exercises <laughs> in the world. Like the average or even above average person couldn't even come close to doing them. Yeah. One was like, I think it was like a hand, you're on your hand doing a handstand, then you come down and do a push up without yeah. your feet. Uh, <laughs> touching the ground like it's basically impossible <laughs> what's step one <laughs> <laughs> yeah i but i think uh again it's very personal thing mm -hmm. and individual basis so i i and i think that's getting to know yourself you can i i um at this point in my life i'm almost 40 and very close to 40 a month away no a little less than a month um a little more than a month, Christmas Eve, going Ooh, to Vegas. Woo. Nice. Uh, but it's taken me so long to figure out what works for me and what doesn't. And I still don't know everything. And Kristen, I feel the same for you and maybe most people just. I'm sure that's everyone. And in part, our bodies are always changing. Like we're getting older. So what worked for us, had we had it figured out at 20, isn't going to work for us at yeah. 40 and so on. But totally. Yeah. And like you can get away with stuff for so long. Yeah. You can just grind yourself into the ground. And then 
<clears throat> then there's like a reckoning day, I feel, or this reckoning year where you're like, so many people are like, oh, I'm turning 40 and like, I'm starting to really feel it. Yeah. And don't or believe that. becoming That's a mother. A- <laughs> like, I'm sure yeah. things have changed mm-hmm. in your body and your life totally. and your lifestyle. Like yeah. these things, these life events are, yeah. of course, they're going to impact. How have you, how has entrepreneurship factored into your life? It's like everything. Um, <clears throat> and I... I don't like money. I don't like talking about money. That's probably one of the biggest things that I struggle with. Um, And not like, and yeah, probably even like knowing my worth and knowing that, you know, even if I just talk to somebody, there's still value in that. Like, I just want to give everything away for free because I feel like, oh, you just needed a good conversation, you know? Um, So on the entrepreneurship side of things, like I struggle with a lot of those things. Um, I feel like medicine as well should be a right and not something that people have to scrounge for or like set aside or or save up for or all those types of things so there is like a luxury as you had kind of mentioned like there shouldn't be but there is uh to be able to afford a visit or something like that so there's all those sides of entrepreneurship that like get wrapped into my daily practice and daily headspace of just wanting to help people then um if you're not working you're not making money so you know going through a pregnancy and going through um, postpartum and getting back to work as soon as possible. That's a whole other adventure. And then um, the other side of entrepreneurship too is like building a practice and building a business and um, making sure like people know who you are, that you're doing good work and that you're like helping people. And as you said, like you could never sleep and do this all the time and put out content all day, every Mm -hmm. day. And you could, it could be just so overwhelming and sometimes it is, but I think like becoming a mom has been really helpful for that. Like there's got to be times where I throw my phone away. And one of the most hilarious examples is my husband was on his phone and my son was trying to get his attention. And he's like, uh, uh, uh. And my husband was still on his phone and he's like, uh, uh. And I was just like, this kid can't even talk yet. And he knows what's happening. Yeah. And like he grabs our phones and like, hides them places and i'm just like there's something happening like he realizes to me yes 100 percent. so we've kind of made this rule in the house where like in the evening times when we're with him just put your phone away like there's nothing more important out there than him and it's been really helpful it's been really awesome and then it also makes you take a step back for time associations too like if i have one hour what do you want to spend that hour if i have one hour towards marketing then you get like what is the most influential thing you can do in that one hour? Because there's no additional time. You have to go pick them up or you have to end your work day or blah, blah, blah. What is the thing that you can do in one hour that's really going to make a huge difference instead of just thinking about it for an hour and then doing something for mm-hmm. an hour, you know? A really simple piece of advice that you gave me uh, last time we met was just checking in with yourself in the morning. Mm-hmm. And that seems like something that maybe we think we're doing because like you wake up and yeah, you're aware of how you feel, but making that really just thoughtful question, like what, how is my body feeling? Like, am I more or less tired? Am I, you know, am I a little stiffer than usual? Like I have found that consistent practice has been huge. And again, it's, it's simple. It's available. It's free. It's all these things, just information about yourself. Um, Do you have other consistent practices in your life that have made a difference that might be good advice? I would say like that's probably one of the largest ones. Um, And like we have so many metrics, wearables, tech now that will like give us a reading and 
<clears throat> I just think there's something innate in you that you should know. Maybe you're disconnected from it right now. That's fine. I think like just keep checking in and keep working on it until you actually do feel something on a daily basis or you can notice change over time. For workouts, as kind of like you were asking for that recovery process, um, am I pushing it today or should I actually, am I just being like silly and having to build up the motivation to go train? Um, I heard this before where one of the best interventions and it's worked for a lot of patients too is put your gym shoes on, gear up, get in the gym, do your warm up, and then do this check-in again and see how you're feeling. If it truly feels like a day where like, hmm, I don't feel like doing this, I still don't feel ready to go, um, maybe that's a recovery day. Light run, you know, a little bit of foam rolling, a little bit of recovery aspect stuff. Um, whereas if you get your shoes on, you do your warm up, you get out there and you're like, oh, I'm silly, let's get after it. Mm. Then that's a completely different feeling towards what you're about to do next. And that might help with um, avoiding running yourself into the ground on a an exercise front. And then the other thing that has been pretty influential for a lot of people is um, we always want to go back to what we were doing before. So a lot of people took uh, nutrition off, I call it, over COVID and exercise off over COVID. And um, if you go back to like that perfect diet that you're having before, if you go back training five days a week, like that feels like an insurmountable task to get back to. But if you say, I'm going to train realistically one to two times this week. And then if you do that, be proud of yourself that you did that. Don't say like, oh, I only got in two days, like be pumped about that. And then for nutrition, like, hey, I really focused on a solid breakfast this week. That's a win. And you will get back to those levels that you were at before. It's just going to take a rehabilitation and a re-mapping um, of, of your habits and stuff like that, too. This is a great point because we've been talking a lot about, oh, we're like hyper level here. on, But there are, of course, a lot of people that are having trouble just, yeah, getting their sneakers on in the morning. Mm -hmm. So, yes, that's very important to point out kind of the other end of that spectrum and celebrating that one day is better than none and that it encourages you to keep going again the following week and celebrate all those parts too. Yeah. And I think one of the other large uh, thought processes that I hear time and time again is I, I had mentioned this earlier too, but this <clears throat> all or nothing mindset that we all tend to have in the, in the back of our brain and, and how derailing it is if you miss a workout or if you don't get your lift or if you, I'm not even going to say you can't screw up food like if you just make choices that don't fuel your body that day like it doesn't mean you have to spiral down this path of like I'm not doing anything right and all that sort of stuff and and through some exploration or through talking to a lot of people I think the underlying theme for a lot of us is like not good enough and one of the practices that I've started to do with a lot of people is um what is good enough then so if you're not good enough what would it look like if you were good enough and what does that mean as an athlete what does that mean as an individual what does that mean as a partner what does that mean as a parent and really tangibly start to write these things down so I mean you could wake up every day and say I'm not a good enough mom but okay keep telling yourself that you're setting yourself up for failure every day right mm -hmm. what are the things that would make you a good enough mom well I love my child I uh, pay attention to him. I meet his needs um, and most of his needs and some of his wants, I would say. I, I liked that phrasing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, if I do those things, then I'm good enough. And that was relatively easy for me to do. Some people really struggle with this. So I often ask them to write it as if they're writing it for a good friend. So what for your good friend would constitute her being a good enough mom? 
And then with that criteria, then read it back to yourself and like, do you actually meet that criteria? And most of the times they do. But if I wake up every day and be like, I'm not doing enough exercise, I'm not eating enough of the right foods, and but it's just so negative. and It's just setting you up for this constant sense of failure and it all resonates in the back of your mind of um, defeat. Right. And we wonder why we're exhausted. Oh, if, and like this never-ending to-do list, I, I hear this time and time again, too. Like, if the to-do list is never completed, but we base, like, productivity on doing the to-do list, <clears throat> and then whatever we don't finish immediately becomes task one the next day, you set yourself up for so much anxiety because the, the to-do list is literally impossible to complete in a day. So it's going to transfer over to the next day. So you wake up looking at this list being like, Ooh, I should have done that yesterday. But you already hit capacity yesterday and we just keep pushing these days over and days over. So one of the other suggestions for like habits and lifestyle would be a really accessible, possible to-do list in a day too. Yeah. And then you can feel like I won today because I did something that's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Check it off. Yeah. Yeah. Are there other kind of daily, you know, a vitamin everybody can take or mm. a, a water hydration mark that we should be meeting. Because again, there's a lot of conflicting stuff out there and maybe there is no silver bullet to this, but what are some general just, everybody should try maybe this. Yeah. Supplement wise is very, um, I, I say this in every interview, I would say it depends. And again, it's just the individualized nature of it all. Um I think we're all missing a lot of our micronutrients, <clears throat> specifically here in North America. We're really low on magnesium. We're really low on vitamin D. We're really low on um, just a, like a broad spectrum of nutrients, I would say. <clears throat> so not that you have to take a multi, but maybe something along the lines of like a greens powder or, and again, there's going to be people that that doesn't work for and there's going to be consult your healthcare provider before you take any of this yeah. <laughs> kind of deal. but um, something to focus on getting some of those base minerals and nutrients into you would probably be helpful or eating a larger range of um, vegetables in your diet would also do the trick. So there's that. Hydration-wise, I would just say more, yeah. more than you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Just go pour a glass of water while you're Love listening that. to this. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> more juice. And more, yeah. more tang. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, whatever's in the back of the fridge, just pour that in your your drink. And honestly, it's funny that you say that because people are like, I don't like water. And And I hear that time and time again. I still find it shocking every time that I hear it, not in maybe like in a little bit of a judgment way, but it doesn't taste like anything. Or if it does taste like something, like maybe your water is too chlorinated and maybe you should look at a filtration system. Or if you totally just hate the taste of water, let's add some branched chain amino acids to it or let's add some fruit to it or vegetables to it so it makes it more palatable for you and you actually drink more. I had a patient in today and... He was laughing at me because I got sold down the um, social media river of that big um, Stanley jug for water. Right. But it met all of my water criteria. So, like, I love cold water. I love uh, water from the spring um, in Gasparo, just outside of where I live. And I love drinking water with a straw. So this keeps my water super, super cold. I can bring it from my house and it has a straw in it. So I drink, you know, two plus liters a day two, three liters a day because of this jug. Whereas before I'd be like, I'll just wait till I get home. And then you can keep track of it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's these little things. And and I talk a lot about pain points in the office. So like 
these general recommendations that we see on social media like are accessible as you had said for the most part to everyone but like what stops us from doing them and for like journaling for example this is gonna make me sound like really high needs but they're just two examples that I give people so I'm left-handed and a lot of journals will close on my hand while I'm writing so I had to get a coil one so it would like roll over and that was I didn't hate journaling I hated the thing on my hand while I'm trying to write yeah yeah. so really figuring out (laughs) like what those pain points to your success are versus just being like nah not interested in that do you have any other tips on recovery in general definitely so there's so many recovery tools out there the cheapest and easiest would be hydrotherapy and breath work i would say and we uh think what's hydrotherapy like water anything water associated would be under the lens of hydrotherapy but um there's so much coming out now about Uh, like Wim Hof and cold showers and all of the amazing things that he's doing to change physiology textbooks, which is pretty incredible. Um, So, you know, alternating hot cold for injury management, um, cold showers. And and I always like to convey this to a lot of people who are taking things really seriously is if you train really hard with the goal to build muscle and then you have a cold shower directly after, we're almost like stopping that inflammatory process. But that inflammatory process is how our body adapts and grows. So we have to be really intentional with when we're timing these things and why we're timing these things. You know, knowing the science behind what we're doing is really important too. And then I always suggest talking to a professional with what would be the best for you. Um, and then even drinking water, I would consider hydrotherapy as well. And um breath work is the most interesting thing in the entire world for me so every like athletic practice has some sort of i don't know like training or breath association to it and maybe they all differ uh, throughout the sports but when we think about our nervous system there's two spectrums of it or there's two sides to it the autonomic uh the autonomic nervous system would have the uh, sympathetic and the parasympathetic sympathetic fight or flight parasympathetic rest and digest for you know, loose terms to explain that. And autonomic, we think, oh, okay, well, it's automatic. We have no control over it. But breath work has shown to actually give us some autonomy over what's happening. So I was explaining, like, we can't control the stress response, but we can control our response to the stress response. And that's where breath work would, co- would come in. So there's so many practitioners out there um, re-educating, like, nasal breathing and closing your mouth while you sleep and um, two large inhales and then a long exhale to bring you back down to, you know, a parasympathetic arrest and digest state. So I always ask people like, what gets you in that framework? Like, is it being on a beach in Florida or what is it that like, yeah, relaxes you? <clears throat> One lady said like paint by numbers. So maybe while she's painting by numbers, she's slowing down her breath. She's really like getting a full belly breath in whatever that looks like. However you get there, I don't care. It's just that you do it, right? I saw an article uh, that was published in the New York Times last week about uh, the mouth tape mm. to have your a closed mouth during rest. Mm-hmm. Um, is it something that there's benefit to when exercising as well, if you're able to? I mean, of course, we're often breathing harder while mm-hmm. exercising, but if, if possible, is there ad- advantage at that time? Yeah, so from some of my understanding, again, a little bit of control of the nervous system you would have um, with certain nasal breathing techniques. And I've also read that um, in your nose, there's like, uh, I guess we would call them like little ledges. 
And those ledges have nitric oxide in there. So breathing through your nose would increase nitric oxide, which would help with like VO2 max or your ability to get uh, oxygenation everywhere in your body. Mm. So nasal breathing really does seem to have a huge benefit to performance. And um, I just don't know how people do it. Like sometimes, you know, your gas sometimes running through things and it's it's a mind over matter thing for a bit to get used to it. I try it sometimes when I'm writing and I'll get like a few nasal breaths in and then like, <gasps> yeah. all right, I need to breathe. Yeah. yeah, exactly. This isn't quite enough for where I'm at right now. but Exactly. Yeah. And when you're in that like parasympathetic state while you're sleeping, it'd be a little bit easier because your your body's chill yeah. for the most part. And um, some of the research that I've been reading are like twofold. So oral health, which like seems to play a massive role in full body health, which I think is under overlooked quite often. So uh, these children, like, well, not these children, like children in general often are now, like everyone needs braces, their mouths are malformed, um, teeth are getting a little bit crazy in people's mouths, and they, they're really blaming it on um, the way we're breathing or the way our mouth is set up now, or oral issues like tongue ties and all that sort of stuff that is really going to change the breathing pattern or um, the ability for a child to like move certain things around in their mouth. So I thought that that was fascinating. Uh, Breath by James Nestor. Have you guys heard of that book? Did you yeah, read yeah, yeah. yeah. So he goes through so much science of like how that's, you know, messing with us and what the long-term consequences of that are. And if you haven't read that one, I'd definitely pick that up to anyone listening to. Where did Dr. Cokes come from? <laughs> that's funny. Um, when I was born, my brother couldn't say Nicole, so he called me Coco. Oh. And uh-huh. everyone, I'm Coco to everyone in my family. And I don't even think... I like was called Nicole when I was in trouble, essentially. So yeah. I have like a negative connotation. That gets with Nicole. your attention. Yeah, Nicole McClellan is like, oh, what did I do? <laughs> um, and then as I got older, it kind of like evolved from Coco to Cokes. And um, my husband calls me Cokes. And then I was thinking like, what what sets you apart as a naturopath? There's like over 75 naturopathic doctors in, in Halifax or like the Nova Scotia, essentially. And um Nicknames are huge in the sports community and something that kind of rolls off the tongue that's pretty quick. So it was a bit of a marketing ploy, a bit of like tie into family and all I that love sort of it. stuff. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what do you see happening with your career and you yourself in the next five years or so? What do you what do you have on the horizon? Oh, this is a good one. I love the thought of consulting work. So having more practitioners not think the way I think, but like have just a sounding board for information and a sounding board for hearing stories. So there's oftentimes you get a case that you're like, wow, that's a hard one. I'm not really sure where to do or where to take this next. And uh, liaisoning with the conventional medical system, you seem to hit walls quite often, especially in my profession. There's a little bit of a a change that's starting to happen, but um, to be a support network for other practitioners who are treating athletes would be a huge draw for me. Precision medicine, so uh, a lot more in-depth testing to the individualized um, patient and figuring out on a scientific level through urine, through blood, through saliva of what they need as an individual would be super interesting. And then um, maybe have another baby along the way. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, Take some being time a mom. off, do that. Yeah, yeah. You'll be but, in preschool in five years. So, yeah. That's so crazy. Are you guys planning to stay local? You'll be in Nova Scotia. We can find you. Totally. I, yeah. I, I foresee myself. I think we brought like our retirement home. So, we live out in the valley on 11 acres. And mm. um, I really can't imagine moving from there. Yeah. How do you spend your downtime? <laughs> That's a good question. In the Most, eight minutes of it, yeah, a day in the that whole you eight have. minutes a day. Uh, I think a lot. I I get it lost, and my husband will be like, "Hey, where are you, where are you?" And I'll be like, well, "A different planet somewhere." Um, I like the. I love history. I love learning about history. I love the World Wars. Um, World War Two in color is probably like my favorite thing to watch on Netflix. I'm super interested in uh, Graham Hancock's oh, Apocalypse. Yeah. Uh, what is it called? Asian Apop- Apocalypse? We watched that. We binge that, basically. Yeah. I think that's so cool. Yeah. And it seems like it's legit, yeah, too. I, like, I love anything that, like, pushes the boundaries in how you're thinking. Mm-hmm. And it was just, there was just so much evidence there. And and we had the conversation, like, I am curious to hear why other scientists or archaeologists are not backing this up, just for the sake of balance. Yep. Um, but fascinating series so totally yeah. and listening to them um i <laughs> you almost get like shunned for listening to joe rogan but i think like there's some <laughs> interesting conversations that happen on that podcast <laughs> and he had them on recently and he was they were talking about like maybe this telepathic ah, i don't want to butcher in and i don't want to like you know make somebody think that i'm crazy for listening to this either but uh some sort of energy field let's call it that was able to move large rocks or, or move things around um and how we're missing out maybe of something that we had access to in a telepathic realm or um, like reading energies type of realm or, and I think there's something to that. Like, I think there, there is something to medicine to be able to heal yourself uh, through energies, through uh, support. Like everyone knows the feeling of uh, walking into a room when like the coach is really pissed at you or something like you can feel that right there's something feeling that we're maybe not tapping into or not talking about um and it doesn't have to be super woo -woo. it could be something as simple as that you know but intuition mm -hmm. is uh a real thing that everyone agrees on Mm -hmm. but you can't measure it or you can't and you can't call it by another name right Yeah. yeah so like something like that is i think what well, in my opinion, I think people 12,600 years ago and before yeah. uh, that in referencing that date is when uh, they think that the uh, asteroid hit Earth, killed a lot of the population. <laughs> and there was an, one really smart civilization who uh, kind of there was a few people left over and traveled around trying to educate people on, hey, this is how you build things and grow things. Anyway, uh I think that's some type of advanced intuition yeah. existed. Mm-hmm. Totally. Whether they could move blocks with yeah, their I brains. Yeah, I don't know if they could do all or, that. Uh, I feel super open to that idea, yeah. though, like, or simulation theory or, mm-hmm. like, any of these things. I just feel like we live in an era now that it's like, yeah, maybe. Like, why would I totally. completely dismiss this? And some of our, like, medical practice... I always, like, bring it back to the medical realm and, and my thought process there. Like, some of this is so... What we're doing, just like looking in, just seems so archaic. Like there's got to be a better way for a lot of these things. And I get there's so much red tape around change and decision making. And there's too many people's hands in the decision making tree, I would say. And what really needs to happen uh, would be so hard to get inventory from every nurse and and to make 
functional change. So you make one decision and three nurses will be happy or like you cannot please everyone. But I think we're missing a massive boat of what the potential is or the potential for change just because we can't please everyone doesn't mean we shouldn't do anything. Um, So when I think about like all of these technologies and, and the potential for medicine and innovation and all that sort of stuff, it gives me like I get excited. And I think that that's uh, part of it. So we used to like bloodlet people, right? I don't know what the, what's that. Replacing <clears throat> the blood? No, we used to just like if they were sick, you would just cut them open and bleed them out. Oh, right, makes sense. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. and um, that was medicine. Yeah. <laughs> so we're changing. Like things yeah. are happening, and like technology-wise, there's so many advancements. But even when I had my son Mac, like I was in the hospital, and I had the fetal monitor, and the fetal monitor is connected to a machine. But you're giving birth. Like sitting in the same position is the worst experience ever. Um, but you can't move too much because these fetal monitors are measuring the heartbeat to say like if something is going to, you know, they have to adjust something or change something with the baby. So you can't move. I had an IV in the other arm. Like there's nowhere I could go where I was just like, and I was like, oh, I feel like a trapped wolf here and I'm yeah. trying to like do this very natural thing. And I just, there's got to be a better way for a lot of these things. And I I looked at it afterwards and there's technology out there where it's a wireless sensors that you would put on your stomach and i was like that's never that. like why isn't that a thing and so there's so many things and i'm sure there's costs associated with it but like could we just get together and make some good decisions for everyone you know yeah i think everybody can agree there's some frustration <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> exactly that was just one of my experiences and like each individual person like going for mris going for uh imaging it takes years to get in and then once they get in they're like oh well actually you need an mri to measure that not an x-ray and then you start the process all another year yeah it's crazy the last thing i want to ask you about is if if or how art still plays a role in your life yeah that's awesome uh (laughs) there's probably two ways um every now and then i'll take out my sketchbook and draw something um i had this drive recently to take songs that i really like and draw a picture to whatever I was thinking while I was listening to the song. Cool. That was kind of cool. I did one for, uh, uh, yeah, I forget words right now. What's his name? Uh, Adam Baldwin. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. What was his song with the ship? Oh, the lighthouse. Little name? Lorraine? Not Little Lighthouse. Uh, what was the other one? The Betrayal. Uh, From his new album? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, anyways, I forget the name of the song. Um, But yeah, I just, it just called on me to draw something and I've been listening to some more stuff and trying to get it out there and then on another like art side of things every time it's somebody one of my friend's birthdays I like write them a really silly poem Mm -hmm. and that seems to be like a little bit artistic as well totally oh I love that yeah cool well it's a pleasure and an honor to have you in our little space here and there's so much good information that you gave us in that episode and just getting to chat with you know you a little better and yeah, it uh, means a lot for you to take the time to come here. So, yeah, we just want to thank you. Thanks so much for having me, guys. This, like, space is so intimate. And, like, yeah, you don't get a no hour plus to talk about yourself ever. So thank you for the opportunity. Wow, to... We really grilled you with some personal, like, so on rehab again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. This is, like, what I do on a daily basis. And if there's anything I can ever do to support anyone, just um, obviously there's some limitations of what I can give out uh, without a 
you know, in a medical setting, but it's uh, I'm there to help and provide information. Like that's literally how I see myself in the world. So yeah, and your I found, <clears throat> excuse me, your social media has always been a good resource. Like I'll check in just to get information. So where can folks find you online, or if they want to book in for an appointment? Totally. So I work at Proactive Health and Performance Center. Uh, it's in Burnside. There's some wicked practitioners there. They're really kind of elevating the game for what I'm passionate about and what I believe in, which would be like uh, patient-centered healthcare. And then on social media, I'm at sportsdoccokes, so S-P-O-R-T-S-D-O-C-K-O-K-E-S. And that's where I upload most of the information that uh, I share. Thank you so much. No, thank you guys Yeah, so helpful. Yeah, I know our listeners will be stoked too. Yeah, for sure. Stoked for Cokes. I love it. Yeah, (laughs) stoked for Cokes. Good way to end. Yeah, perfect. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks, everyone. Well, that was sure exciting. Well, we learned a lot of health tips, and this is all the more reason to pound back the real food bars that we have several cases of now. Eat seven at a time, like I talk about in our ad. Yes, that's that's kind of the magic number, I think, yeah. for them. That's where you get the real super strength. Yeah, superpowers. That'll keep you, keep you fed over the holidays in case you don't have enough turkey, folks. And yeah, thanks so much for listening, everyone. Keep spreading the word. Tell your friends about this. Uh, just yeah, get word out any way you can. We, we really appreciate that. And another few real helpful things would be to give our book, You and Me, a review on Amazon. And also, we have an audiobook out. So, or just buy either one if you're, if you're looking for some entertainment, you know? If you're going to do what we really want, <laughs> it's going to be buying the Buy your goddamn book! <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> Uh, yeah, but thanks so much, folks. Um, a review would really help. We, we appreciate all that. And uh, we'll be back next week, every Wednesday. We're here, coming at you with informative episodes. Ooh. Cheers. <laughs>